the innocent can never last. Wake me up when September ends. Hi, everybody. Uh, Zach Gifford here, bringing you guys a special edition of uh, Nerds on the Black. I'm here today with uh, my co-host, Kyle Reese. Uh, you obviously know him, hopefully, from Prospects After Dark. Um, Kyle, how are you doing this Thursday? I'm doing well, Zach. I uh, I am thoroughly excited about getting a chance to podcast with you. Uh, I, almost since our days on the Redbird Daily, I, I've wanted to do a podcast with you. So this is awesome. It's a it's a fulfilling moment for me, Zach. Yeah, it's always been uh, it's always been like kind of out there, um, but coordinating like kinda, I don't know. It's always been a little tough to coordinate, and then. I don't know. I'm not that. I was always kind of hesitant on the on podcasting periscoping for a while. Um, but now that I actually have this whole system figured out, uh, I think it's uh, you know we're we're kind of cooking now. So it'll be good to get this going. I'm glad uh, I switched over some to some new tech uh, so far. So good. Um, which, as you know from past uh, nerds on the blacks, my tech usually fails. So uh, good start here. Um, I don't know. Uh, we can actually start with some non-baseball news. Um, I'm throwing you a little bit of for a wrench here, but and you know more about this than me, but what was the uh, the move that – is it Jake Allen just got oh, traded uh, in, for the St. Louis Blues? Yeah. Yeah, uh, the, the goalie, the St. Louis – the goalie. One of the two big goalies, $4 million a year goalies, Jake Allen and Jordan Biddington. Uh, the quote-unquote backup Jake Allen just was recently traded to the Montreal Canadiens for a third and the seventh-round pick. Most people assume that it was about clearing cap space so that the, Card- or the Cardinals, the Blues, would be able to re-sign Alex Petrangelo, uh, their captain, the first captain to ever take them to a Stanley Cup. And I, I, my guess is that's exactly what that's all about. But uh, it's hard in the NHL to have two goalies that are making $4 million a year, uh, even though some teams uh, like Montreal and uh, a while back, like had Carey Price, you know, some goalies end up making like $8 million a year. So it's kind of like having... You know, if you have two goalies making four, it's kind of like having one premier making eight. Uh, but this puts a lot of pressure on Jordan Bennington to be the guy. And there were times throughout the year, including this little weird playoff time, where Jake Allen was the better of the two goalies. So uh, a lot of uncertainty with the St. Louis Blues between maybe potentially losing their captain and uh, goaltending controversy. Yeah, I don't have, I don't know a whole lot as you know. I've told you before. I only watch playoff hockey and I get excited because the puck moves around fast and. I want people to shoot and crash. That's the only thing I only term I know, I think. Uh, but, uh, no, I I saw a lot about uh, Petrangelo and, like, people upset that he was leaving. So, hopefully, uh, I guess hopefully that clears it up. He's obviously a pretty beloved figure. Um, it was exciting when they were uh, – when last year when I was able to actually watch, you know, good playoff hockey for once. Usually I'm – I think the last like two or three years before they kept losing to the Blackhawks and up in Chicago, like growing up near Chicago, like all my friends are Blackhawks fans. Yeah. Uh, and so it was nice to get a little bit of redemption there after uh, six, seven years of getting beat down. Uh, but I, enough with the, with the hockey talk. That's not what uh, either of us are that good at. Uh, not that to say we're good at baseball stuff either. <laughs> no, I'm terrible, but real fast, uh, just in, Prospects After Dark tradition, you have to show the audience what you are drinking this evening. Zach, Zach yes. what is your beverage of choice? So I am drinking, it's from Deschutes. I don't know where Deschutes is brewed, but it is the Fresh Haze 
IPA. Uh, it tastes, I think it's a little bit like orange. Uh, they have a couple, couple different drinks. They have the fresh, I have the fresh squeezed. This is the fresh haze. And then there's also a little squeezy that I tried to get today. Uh, the fresh haze and the, the fresh squeeze are both IPAs. Uh, the little squeezy is an APA. I was a little disappointed. Mariano's didn't have it, uh, but we are we have a good second choice. Uh, and what do you have to turn it back to you? Shake my head, Mariano. Shake my head. Uh, it, so the shoots is from Portland, Oregon. Uh, I am drinking. Uh, uh, hold on. I'm so used to having a camera in a different place. I'm drinking this Cayman Jack Moscow Mule uh, I, in honor of, of friends of ours. And also uh, bourbon, because that's just what I do. And it's Four Roses, so uh, that's just to tide me over for a while. That's to get me into bed. Yeah, this uh, I have a six, I have six of them. I don't know how many we'll go through. We're halfway through the first, so we'll uh, we'll see where where we get to. All uh, six, hopefully. Well, hopefully, we're uh, it's Labor Day weekend, so might as well start start the weekend early, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Um, so jumping into jumping into the St. Louis Cardinals talk, um, we just watched the uh, the trade deadline go by. The Cardinals, I think, were one of only two teams I want to say that didn't make a move. I know the Houston Astros didn't make a move. Uh, there were quite a few minor trades, like Pittsburgh. I think only moved it was like Gerard Dyson to get some international signing money. There was some some really small stuff around. Uh, around the edges. Um, Chris, glad, uh, yeah, glad to welcome you to, to the stream. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we're able to not disappoint. Uh, we'll see how it goes. A um, lifetime of disappointment on my end. So good yeah, luck. It, it, it's the bar is, uh, the bar for it, for the status quo is low. We'll, uh, we'll <laughs> hope to surpass that. Uh, so yeah, there, I think the yes, was the only other team that didn't make a move. I, it's tough for the Cardinals because my issue has always been they're kind of average everywhere. There's not an obvious hole. Um, so it's tough at the deadline. It's not even to like mention the way this season, um, the way this season is going. Uh, it's tough at the deadline to make upgrades when, you know, a lot of teams they'll get an average player and that's a two win upgrade. You know, if you're looking at like war, but it, it, it's, fits right in their starting line. The Cardinals, if they get an average player, you throw them, you know, in, in the stable with Carpenter, Edmund, uh, Brad Miller, who Brad Miller has been terrific. Um, Wong's, you know, a little above average. The outfielder has five of the same, not five of the same guy, but five guys who are, you know, value wise, um, pretty similar. So tough to see them uh, kind of stand pat at the deadline, but I, I don't know that it was unexpected. I, I, it wasn't unexpected at all. I think it kind of went exactly as most of us would have would have thought. Yeah, and that's kind of what uh, what Mo telegraphed for sure. I was listening to Camo X on Sunday, the Sunday before the deadline, and yeah, I, I don't blame Mo at all. And you know, that's a tired man. Yeah, you can hear him uh, on all of his uh, the interviews that he does, and that that's a gentleman who's who this circumstance he sounds worn out in my opinion. Now uh, that of course does not give him free pass to. Be a you know show malaise in his job as Pobo, uh, but like I get it. I couldn't do what he's doing right now. There's no way. I it would have been a, a, a complete crap show. I would have made a large fool of myself. There's no telling what kind of ridiculous things I would have done when the Cardinals were off for 17 days. What I would have said that would have so like I I can't imagine the position he's in. And uh, yeah, to your point, everything seemed telegraphed to me. I I would have been shocked if they would have made a move on Monday. 
Yeah, I mean, I was looking uh, looking at a few guys. Um, Pobo, that's one I haven't heard. Hopefully I spelled that right for you. Um, I was looking at a few guys, like in, within the division at least, there were a handful of guys and, you know, one that was a former division guy. But Archie Bradley um, to – was it he went to the Reds, correct? Um, yeah. For Josh Van Meter, um, and then uh, I think it was Stuart Fairchild. Uh, Van Meter's like he was never really uh, a big time prospect. I think he topped out at like twenty eight. I want to say in the rankings, uh, Fairchild was number eleven according to Fangraphs um, this last year. But I, I mean, that's something. The Cardinals, the bullpen's been good, but we saw it last year. Uh, you know, Gant wore down. Um, Right now, you're really, I guess you have Helsley coming back. You have Gallegos. Archie Bradley would have been a nice guy to probably try to throw back there and see if you can shore that up, especially with as many games as they're playing in so many days. Um, I would definitely rather see Archie Bradley than um, a Chris Matt or a Meisinger, uh, Roel Ramirez, you know, the, the kind of hodgepodge of names we threw out. So I think that was a little disappointing. I don't know what, from the Cardinals' perspective, I don't know what's similar if you have an idea. It, I, so, you know, the thing about Van Meter is he spent time with the Reds. So, you know, your first thought is immediately guys like Tyler O'Neill or Lane Thomas or Harrison Bader. He doesn't have the, the, the value of Harrison Bader and doesn't have the skill set necessarily of Tyler O'Neill or Lane Thomas. So he's tough. Real fast, uh, Van Meter and Fairchild. When I hear those two names involved in a trade, it makes me think of Downtown Abbey. I don't, I, I'm sure I'm the only person who feels that way, but it just. They sound like upper class uh, a European society, uh, but yeah. no, I'm with you. Archie Bradley would have been a great addition, and you know, especially with Cody White, uh, Cody Whitley not coming back potentially. You know, dealing with yeah. arm soreness, uh, who I still think you know, if he's healthy, could be a very important part of the bullpen. Uh, who showed some pretty impressive stuff in just a, a small sample with the, the big club. You can never have enough arms. And, man, you know, Miesinger has uh, has pitched really well when he's been called upon, but that probably won't last. You know, nothing against him, or that probably won't last. So, yeah, I, Archie Bradley for two guys who are just kind of guys. Uh, who, you know, the other thing is Diamondbacks are one of those teams that the Cardinals have a little bit of tr recent yeah. trade history with. So, yeah. yeah However I, I you I feel about that trade, uh, Gallon had – uh, is it, I think, 23 starts in a row now. I guess he wasn't directly to Arizona, but, yeah, the the link is there. Yeah. 23 yeah, straight starts know, with three runs or less. Uh, we could use that. He's amazing. Yeah, he's amazing. And that's a whole rabbit hole to go down to. That's, I mean, you could do an entire two-hour-long podcast about that. Just, you know, looking at the trade that was made involving Zach Gallon and Sandy Alcantara, um, uh, Daniel Castano and Magnara Sierra for, for – um, uh, uh, Ozuna, Marcel Ozuna. Like you could just, you could go and just have fun with that entire trade. You know, put yourself back in that moment when it was the right trade to make, even though they gave up what was quote unquote a lot. You know, to to look and see. Well, Zach Gallen was a UNC righty who showed command and had some nasty stuff. Uh, it, he was hard to give up, but you gave him up over Luke Weaver because Luke Weaver was in the major. You know, in the majors, he was at the major yeah. league level. You know, yeah. uh, it's. That's a whole fascinating just trade in general to break down uh, for somebody that has the energy for it. Yeah. And uh, another Diamondback, Dan Buffa, uh, in the comments, uh, thought Marte looked like um, a good pickup. Cardinals, that's tough because we already have an issue with the outfield. We can probably talk about that, you know, to no end 
later on. Um, but I think like for what they gave up, it was Caleb Smith uh, and Humberto Mejia, which he Mejia was a, kind of a throw-in young reliever, it looked like. Caleb yeah. Smith, I felt like, kind of compares to Ponce or Gomber, where, you know, where he's kind of a fringe major league starter. He struggled when he's had a chance. Um, you know, probably gettable for the Cardinals, but not really at a spot where it makes sense for them to go get somebody, I don't think, unless they were going to move some of the outfielders. But at this point, you're selling low on every outfielder that we have. So, uh, I don't think that made a whole good would have been a good pickup, but I don't know that roster wise uh, made a whole lot of sense necessarily. Um, David Phelps was another guy. The Brewers traded. Uh, he was towards the back end of a, what's been a really good bullpen, even if the team hasn't been as good um, up in Milwaukee. They got they traded him for a handful of like 19 to 20 year old uh, pitchers, and none of them were on the 60 man rosters. Uh, the expanded with the whatever satellite club they were on. Um, that was one where, you know, it's another one. You, it's kind of three throw-ins, but, you know, the Cardinals are sitting at 500. Uh, 500's probably going to make the playoffs this year. Um, I don't think that the team views itself as a 500 team. They're probably happy that they're 500 now, having gone through all the COVID stuff. As they get people back, they probably think they, you know, I, I hate to say it, but, like, kind of getting Paul DeYoung back, they probably view as, like, a trade. Um mm. And it really that shores up a big spot for the Cardinals. He's a solid defensive shortstop. Uh, depending on you know where you look, he rates well, uh, and he's got a decent bat for a shortstop. It's not he's hit the snot out of the ball this year. It's been you know fantastic. It's like what he looked like early on last year before he kind of hit a wall um, in May or June. That first month he was great. Um, he's been able to do that a little bit so far. Hopefully he keeps it up, but. You know, you're getting him back. I think Carlos Martinez is working up to try to get back in the rotation or at least stretched out enough to, to manage a handful of innings at a time, um, which, again, with the doubleheaders is going to be huge. You need guys to eat innings. That's where you, we saw Wainwright throw the complete game. Yeah. Uh, that was huge. It was 120-some pitches. He might not be able to throw for the next week, but getting that bullpen a day off was massive. Not to not even to talk about the performance, but getting getting those guys a day off was incredible yeah he's a hero uh just the way he's handled coming out of the 17 game uh you know layoff it, he pitched great from the get-go against the white Sox uh that first saturday back and his other two starts have been magnificent uh, the guy he just he's a marvel he amazes you and he never stops amazing you and not only because of you know what he's battled through to still be pitching and to still be effective but also the type of human being he is uh uh, again, I, you know, I tweet every once in a while about him being a hero, but I, I cannot, for me personally, like I'm not one tenth of a man of Adam Wainwright, just on a, a, a human being level, and I don't think many people are. So uh, that that guy deserves all the praise, all the accolades. Uh, to, to your point about uh, getting DeYoung back and making it feel like a trade, we talked about Archie Bradley earlier, and I'm sure that's how they view Ryan Hel Helsley. I'm sure that they yeah. thought. You know, we're going to get Ryan Helsley back. That's kind of like making a trade for Archie Bradley. Um, and just like you said, with, with Carlos coming back, hopefully able to eat some innings when he comes back with so many doubleheaders. Um, but, yeah, the, the, today's day off, I have to think that if you're in that clubhouse, whether you're part of the coaching staff or one of the players, today's day off was the day you've had circled on the calendar probably for <laughs> four or five days. And you are probably soaking in every minute that you can of non-baseball related time. 
Yeah, and I, they probably don't have many more of them left. I know there's some other teams that are starting to uh, pick up on on the double headers, and I, you know I saw the A's have like one off day the rest of the year in like twenty some games in less than twenty days. Um, I think everybody's going to start to field a little more, and teams that don't are going to have a, at least an advantage in the regular season. Uh, but for sure, good to get a day off. Hopefully, it helps some guys reset, uh, rest up, and. Uh, I think we missed a chance, but cheers to Adam Wainwright to yeah. bring over another another pad tradition. Cheers to that. We raise our glass, as you would say. We raise our glass to Waino. Moving to uh, another starter who so far this year has kind of blown past my expectations, uh, Dakota Hudson. Been incredible so far. Yeah, and his last start to me was maybe, I think, and, you know, a prisoner of the moment, recency bias. But I think his last start from a command perspective is the best that I've seen uh, since his time at the low minor leagues, the year he was drafted. His command has never been particularly good. It wasn't particularly good at double A AA and triple A. And that's part of the reason why he never had a high strikeout total or a high walk total uh, in the minor leagues. There were times when he pitched out of the bullpen when he first made his major league debut where he showed command that he hadn't really experienced in the past. But that start earlier uh, earlier in the week, to me, was the most impressed I've been with his ability to hit the glove. Uh, you know, sometimes, you know, you look, at a, you look at a chart and you'll see that the guy threw a ton of strikes and he was living on the borders. Uh, but but he's watching not doing it on purpose. The, exactly. Michael, you and I, I think have talked about this before. Michael Walker was terrible about that. You know, he, he got lucky a lot. And his stuff was good. You know, the, the fastball changeup was good. And he would often be pitching on the wrong side of the plate from where the glove was. And that's not what Dakota Hudson was doing the other day. That, uh, you know, we'll see where it goes because he hasn't been exactly effective. Although he's been effective. A lot of the other things are a concern. But to see him pitch against the Reds the other day, uh, I was, I was, I thought, man, maybe this guy has actually turned a corner. Yeah, no, I think um, one thing I've talked to, well, I guess before I, before I give it away, um, from his draft profile on MLB.com, so this was written in 20, 2016, we always see, you know, he throws like 60% sinkers. We talk about the ground ball rate all the time. He said he runs pretty low strikeout rates. But I thought it was interesting reading this. Um, they, you know, it says Hudson can sit at 93 to 95 and hit 97 with his fastball, which also features run and sink. Yet his best pitch is a nasty slider cutter that combines – the best of both upper 80s velocity and true slider break. Um, and then, you know, basically his curve and change up or whatever. Um, I, after I saw that, that's obviously not something that we've seen a whole lot in the major leagues. Um, I went, but I, I read through like your dirty 35 write up. I dug that up. Uh, you talked about the, you mentioned that he had the cutter, the slider and a curveball that he threw somewhere between, you know, 92 and 80. Um, you know, three different offerings that had different enough shape, different enough velocity differential that they were, three, you know, really three different pretty good pitches, um, but he didn't throw them a lot. And uh, Red Baron over at Vivo Alberto's had the same thing to say uh, or something similar. Um, I, I looked, looked through like five or six, and everybody had, when he was young in 2017, 2018, was talking about the slider and the curveball. And what's interesting, and I'm going to show um, a video of his first appearance in St. Louis, but that was what he did when he came up in the bullpen in 2018. So here's um, a throwback to Dakota Hudson's first appearance out of the bullpen with the Cardinals uh, a few years ago at this point. 
So there started out with a sinker. He went sinker, sinker, but then get, gets back in the count with a slider or with a with a sinker. That was a slider. That's a slider. That's a slider and gets a really good, really good swing and miss. Another slider goes back to the fastball. Gets gets the arm side run. Another fastball slider. He makes so he makes somebody look at that swing. Yeah, and, and that that's something that. Danny back back to bring Major bring it home for us. For so one two three again. So at the you know the Cubs have a really good lineup. They've had a really good lineup for a long time. And against two lefties, and he's throwing that back foot cutter slider type thing, uh, whatever it was. You know these ones I think were all the harder version. Um, but it just it was there right away. And he he just when he when he went to went to the starting rotation, he kind of dumped it, um, which. It's a good pitch. Uh, yeah, it's a really good pitch. I think there he threw that slider more, like you said, a little bit more depth. But you, what I think impressed me the most about that is he was also throwing the cutter. Now this is this is where I've kind of adopted something that you've been preaching for a long time. I am. We've got to come up with a different name for these yeah, pitches. Yeah. Because, like, even watching minor league games, you watch Seth Elledge and it looks like a slider. He throws a slider, but then you watch it, and all of a sudden it's like it's a curve. And yeah. he's throwing it like a slider. He calls it a slider, but all of a sudden has a curve profile. So we've got to come up with a different name for these pitches. Now, uh, in that video, the thing that I really liked is I feel like you could see the difference in between the cutter and the slider. The slider had more depth. It was more of like the quote-unquote frisbee. Um, uh, and, and then to, to watch that two-seamer just you know absolutely fall off, you know, same release point different movement profiles uh and i i think that's what we're seeing i don't think he, i don't remember him throwing his curveball a lot when he first came up um and i also don't remember him throwing his curveball a lot at the minor leagues effectively so it's been interesting to watch him especially these last couple starts throw that curveball a little bit more recently you want to see a couple of good ones from i have one from 19 queued up uh and one against one of your favorite young players from 2020 we'll start with the one that hurts less <laughs> Wow, that's a big breaking ball. The announcer, oh. that's a big breaking ball. Oh. That was filthy. I mean, that moved a foot. Like, yeah, crazy. And then he did this to our uh, our favorite almost prospect, Luis Robert. Uh-huh. This is going it, to – it's – I mean, that's disgusting. <laughs> and <sighs> he didn't – you're right. To your point, he didn't throw it a lot. Uh, just, just, again, a little bit to make it hurt. Uh, he didn't throw it a lot. Um, when he first came up, he, he was more sinker slider, I think that first year, but he's had a good breaking ball. Um, and he, he just doesn't, it, he hasn't really broken it out. Um, the slider, there's another good one against oh, the White Sox, which the White Sox have a glorious camera angle. It's perfect. kind of like down the batter's box view. You get kind of a good view, you know, a good look at like what the, probably what the pitch looks like a little bit from the box. It's not the same as, you know, what we get straight behind the mound. Um, mm -hmm. But, yeah, I mean, these things are nasty. He's throwing Frisbees. And, like, Nick Markakis is a big contact hitter. Just swings right through what slider to the back foot. Um, By the way, can we go back to talking about how great that last camera angle is? Can we please just spend a little bit of time talking about how wonderful yeah. that camera angle is? It would be nice uh, to bring it back. Now, one thing that uh, I should have saved it. I don't know if I have this one. There was somebody last year at St. Louis – had the behind the center field camera angle. 
it was, so I was going through a bunch of videos because, like, you know, I, apparently what I do in my free time is scroll through old MLB archives. Uh, fun, fun life yeah. right here. I'm usually uh, scrolling through archives too. Yeah. Um, and he, he, uh, there, I think I want to say it was like the Nationals. It was somebody I didn't expect. It was somebody that normally has a shitty camera angle. Uh, and for whatever, whatever it was, uh, they decided to post up behind home plate in 2020 at Bush. And I was like, I didn't know that was allowed. I had no idea, man. I I'd love to see it. I wish they'd go back to it. I love that. This is awesome. And the White Sox, I, I love the White Sox camera angle too. Good call there. Yeah, that was it was good. He's pitched against the White Sox, I think, twice already this year. So big, uh, at least a handful of ones to choose from. Uh, no, Zach, as you as you've watched some of the archives, um, uh, the MLB archives, are there any st- like statistics that are matching up to tell you that maybe this is a little bit more sustainable with Dakota Hudson? Um, I mean, the big thing, like if you're just looking at uh, kind of splitting him up since he kind of took over as a starter, his first like the first half of um, last year, he was, uh, yeah, you can hear our triple hanging. Mm-hmm. Very, very needy dog lately. Uh, the first half of 19, he was at like a 17% strikeout rate. Um, the second half of 19, the walk rate went up, but the, the strikeout rate got to about 20, which 20 is still below average, um, but it's, you know, it's there. This year he's closer. Uh, I have it up. He, this year he is at um, 23. So another step forward. He's kind of consistently taking steps. The walk rate's gone down three straight years, which obviously some of that's limited innings in 18, but that's a good sign. And then I, I tweeted this out the other day, but if you're looking at his curveball and his slider, um, the whiff rate's kind of low because he doesn't, at least early on, didn't always know where it was going. Um, so, you know, he wasted quite a few. Uh, but when hitters swing, they whiff at almost the same rate as Jack Flaherty's slider. Wow. At both the curve and the, and the like, slider cutter thing. Um, the hard breaker and the soft breaker, we'll call it, we'll, we'll do it that way. So the, the hard one, it, it was like 42% of swings last year. Hitters came up empty. Flaherty on his slider was at 45. Um, and the curveball has been at 40% for two straight years. He's thrown the curve more and it's stayed there. The slider's oh, wow. taken a, oh, it's a small sample. So the slider's taken like a small step back this year. It's like 35 instead of 40. Um, but it's like over this amount of innings, it, that's still high. Like average is closer to twenty, um, and so it, it's been it's been a really good start. I think you know the two. The, it looks like the when you watch the video, like it looks like a good pitch, and then when he throws it, it's getting the results of a good pitch. And now it's just I've said for um, a lot of guys in the past, like sometimes you just need to throw your best pitch more often. Um, for Dakota Hudson his best pitch might not be the sinker. It's, you know, going back to those prospect profiles, it might be the breaking balls. Yeah. What I, whichever one it is, the the hard one, the soft one, the curve, the cutter, the slider, yeah. it, it's a good pitch. And he needs, you know, even if it's just to keep guys off the fastball, it's a yeah. good way. It's a good way to get, um, you know, get a little more strikeouts, which he's doing this year. He's up throwing the slider. Uh, well, sorry, the soft one, one that looks more like a curve, I guess. He's up to like 20% um, versus 10% last year, and he's throwing the cutterish one at like one out of every four pitches. So he's throwing a lot more breaking balls, um, and it's it's good to see. And uh, that seems that seems to match the trend in baseball. I I feel like some of the most effective pitchers, and this is a total you know shot in the dark, but it, I just feel like some of the more effective pitchers are going more to off-speed pitches, and they're going to off-speed pitches in typical 
you know, fastball counts. Baseball's changed. It's devol- you know, it's evolving. And I think that that's one of the signs we're seeing. And it's awesome to see maybe some of the Cardinals' younger pitchers uh, with high upsides start to adopt that. Before we move on, Ben wants us to show <laughs> the one to Robert again. So at, at risk of, of breaking your heart, one more time. Hey, I love it. It's just so nasty. And obviously Robert doesn't have this book, but it, it's a good – you're getting a major league hitter to swim like that. It's a, it's a good, good pitch. Um, yeah. I'll watch it over and over again. What's that? I said I'll watch it over and over again. I, you know, maybe uh, maybe if we just put that on loop for all of Cardinals Twitter, they won't be so so burnt about Robert not signing with the Cardinals. I have a lot of White Sox fan friends, so I uh, I have a group chat where every time he hits a home run, I hear it from four different angles uh, within three minutes. So um, fun stuff. Uh, I is hey look, I I sympathize with that. I went on that Twitter tirade before he signed. And now every time he does anything, my my mentions are just filled with uh, Luis Robert yep. gifts and video and amazing. So I I understand completely. All right, I am cracking up on my second of the what's it called the Fresh A's IPA. So we're uh, we're getting there. Oh, there's so uh, huh. there, I next guy I want to talk about is Gallegos. He finally gave up a. Um, he finally blew a save, unfortunately. Um, hey, Graham, thanks, uh, thanks for joining in. Uh, good to see, good to see you uh, in the chat as always. Yeah. Uh, so Gallegos, unfortunately, I was hoping we would talk about him after he had another good outing. Uh, that's not the case, but he has been doing something uh, over the last two years. I, I know, I the dog is <laughs> over there. Just uh, put him on television, Zach. Just put him on television. I, he, the thing is, he's. I, I just peeked back. He's laying down like he's taking a nap almost, and he's just whining. Yeah. Like, I don't even know how noise is coming out. Like, <laughs> I, I, he's been the last like three days. This dog has been so needy. <laughs> First, he I thought he was like trying to kill himself. Uh, oh. I don't know. What there that he is. Means. He's like, look, I'm not sleeping. What do you know? Yeah. I don't know what he's doing over there. He's being cute uh, is what he's doing, Zach. Something like that. Uh, but, yeah, so anyways, Gaios, the last couple of years, uh, our former Birds on the Black colleague, Joe Schwartz, uh, talked a little bit, uh, I think it was with The Athletic, about how sometimes he throws this backup breaking ball. So And getting in the pitch classification thing again. I want to show first, uh, is it Karinchak or whatever from – the Indians, which we just saw him, he throws that nasty, it goes the other way. It's, he, and, you know, he, from what I can tell, like talking to Ben Clemens over at Fangraphs, he probably throws it like a normal curveball. He's just like so far over here that it, the spin just takes it that way. I get you. Um, but look at this. It literally, it goes, it, it goes the other way. Gaius, That's awesome. For the last couple of years uh has sometimes it's like he almost i i want to say he kind of almost overcooks his slider sometimes and throws it as a backup um i was trying to look into his pitch data to see if it's like a non-purpose thing versus like an accident thing and i can you know i can throw this up um this is what i try how i tried to tell that i was hoping that i would see like two clusters like one in the top left and then one in the bottom right and that would show me two different sliders uh that obviously wasn't the case um, hmm. 
but so I got gifts to try to give me uh, a better look at, you know, when Gallegos throws and here's some. So, yeah. So when he overcooks it, like I said, there's some, uh, he almost puts backspin on it. And it gets it to kind of tail almost more like a change up. And he throws a little harder. The color here is velocity. So the ones that back up, he's throwing a little harder. The ones that break more like a normal slider, he's throwing a little softer. So that's my theory is that he's overcooking this. Yeah. I think I don't know how long this video is. I think it goes away after a few more seconds. Um, but I tried to get gifts, so we'll go over to this. Um, to show the trail on one of these to Chris Bryant, it's not as exaggerated as the one that we saw against uh, or that we saw by Krinchek, but you can see a little bit of like a tail there. And it, it looks kind of more like a 12 to 6 breaker. Um, but it's so weird. And I have this is one, this is my favorite. It's to a pitcher. It's a horrible, horrible, horrible camera angle. I think it was a home game. Maybe it was a Reds home game. I can't tell. It's too small. Um, but this is Lorenzen is a pitcher. I get that when he swings, he might look stupid, but that is ridiculous. Look at that. That's face. a filthy pitch. God, that's and, a filthy pitch. He throws some of these, they back up like all, up to like six inches. I've not, I, um, it, it's so strange. And he doesn't get the, I don't know what he's doing because he doesn't get the like full, like way over here, sort of that Krinchek does. Krinchek's doing it on purpose for sure. Gallegos is, I, I, I don't even know how you throw a ball like that. I don't even hardly know how you throw a ball anymore at all. Uh, no, I'm I, I know I'm with you. Um, I, for a while there, there were rumors, and you know, just going back and watching Giovanni after the Cardinals acquired him, he was kind of like a different pitcher in the minor leagues. I, I don't know bet, between his uh, the season where he busted out, and after the Cardinals acquired him for Luke Voigt, he was kind of a different pitcher altogether. And uh, you know, somewhere along the lines, I had heard, and I never had it substantiated, that he was throwing two different breaking pitches like again going back to the Dakota Hudson two different sliders and I'm not sure you know I, I maybe that's something that I mean you guys are better at this than I am especially gifts but maybe if it, it, it could be a difference in how he's holding it I, I think you're right I, I it's probably just a matter of overcooking it uh, than anything plus he has kind of a unique arm angle you know it's not exactly over the top it's not exactly three quarters uh and sometimes I wonder if just that arm angle creates both deception and also some type of unusual run sometimes. Yeah. And it seems just like, I mean, all these guys, like you, you know, when we'd say that a guy throws a slider that breaks, say we say it breaks to the left eight inches, what really happens is he throws a thousand of them and they break somewhere between like five and a half and nine. And it's just kind of, you know what, it, they're all a little bit different. Like they, they cut, it's such a small difference in how it's got to come out of your hand. To, the ones that hang obviously don't move at all. And so it, you know, it's, it's for him, like I should, you know, like I was trying to kind of get to in that, that, that chart is like it, the cluster is kind of there in the middle. It's almost kind of around a gyro almost where like, there's not really any, you know, movement from the spin. It's just kind of zero, zero. And then, you know, depending on, you know, how he comes off on that exact pitch, it might go one way or the other. Um, it's interesting though, and he's throwing a few good ones. It works against righties and lefties. So I showed the Lorenzen one. He, again, going back to the White Sox angle, he got a Brayu on a really good one. You know, you see the catcher set up away, balls start towards that side of the plate and dive back to the center. Um, couple last year, 2019, he threw a couple nasty ones to Max Muncy. This is one of those. Um, it's a wet, like that's, you know. Guys aren't used to seeing a ball come in like that. And I think that's where, for Karinchek, he's striking out like half the guys he sees. And I think a lot of it is just 
hitters, until they see that pitch enough times, don't know what to do. I wouldn't know what to do. Well, that, so- uh, yeah, of course, obviously. So in, in the appearance last night, you know, obviously he was, he was throwing more balls. It uh, didn't really seem to have the same command. Were, were there any underlying stats or anything that you saw last night that made you worry or that you might be able to pinpoint why he wasn't as effective last evening? This is a little bit of a sin. I did not watch the last three innings last night. I why do you hate the Cardinals, Zach? Uh, well, I found that when I watched, they, sometimes they win and sometimes they lose. So I was hoping that if I didn't watch, it would, it would work out in our favor. Uh, that's great. No, I was. Uh, I ended up watching the. I, I had to flip over to then. Well, I didn't have to, but I chose to flip over to the NBA. Uh, so I haven't looked at it yet. Uh, I had a bad feeling because I like I was. I yeah. checked in. Obviously, I have MLB TV, so I like I like watching that bad at a time when I like think it's going to be the least painful. <laughs> um, actually, that's not even true. When we have bases loaded, <laughs> I watch every time. Just I. I want the disappointment. I want to see. You know, like we, I watched last night, we bunt with Molina. I wasn't even mad about it because he was going to ground into a double play. It's just what he does. Yeah. And then O'Neal and Thomas, uh, yeah. that was disappointing. I did it watch that part of the ninth. And yeah. then after that, I after that I kind of threw in the towel. Uh, but I didn't watch the seventh or the eighth. And I also didn't see Brad Miller's home run. So I was kind of in and out. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you had good and bad luck last night. Yeah, well, unfortunately, uh, it ended with the team losing and dropping back to 500, where we keep dancing around uh, in this stupid season. Zach, uh, Zach what do you make of Tyler O'Neill? <laughs> I don't know. Like, there's signs that he's, like, figuring it out a little bit. Um, I mean, like, I talked really early in the year, like, too early to, like, Really, where I should have been talking about anything for sure. Like, it's still too early, but like, you know, after like a couple weeks of games, I talked about it. He's like making a lot more contact. His eye looked better. Um, and he was hitting well. And then all of a sudden, it just all kind of went away. Um, if you wanted to be positive, uh, you could, you know, his contact rate is up to. 70% last year was 60 the year before it was 56 uh, swinging strike rate. So contact rate is when you swing, how often do you hit the ball? Swinging strike rate is like out of however many pitches you're thrown, like how many times do you swing and miss? Uh, he was at 20% or higher in his first two years, which is really bad. Uh, like Joey Gallo, probably worse than Joey Gallo bad. Uh, this year it's at 13, which is kind of manageable if you, do, you know, if when you make contact it, does something but just like i don't know if he's streaky i don't know if it's a confidence thing you talked about the way he was getting pitched uh might have something to do with it has that changed or is it just like it came and it went Uh, you know i'll tell you my main concern is the type of contact he's making when he's making contact it's either a ground ball to the left side or a little fly out to kind of like right center if not the second baseman uh it I've never seen him hit that way. And he seems kind of like a player caught in the middle to me of trying to be a contact guy and uh, a patient guy. And I don't know. I, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to blame it on the manager and say that the manager's lack of confidence in him. That's, that's not right at all. But 
to me, he seems caught in the middle of being whatever type of hitter he wants to be. Uh, we saw him take a lot of pitches early on in the year. And, you know, sometimes it kind of felt like maybe some of the pitches he was taking, like the Cardinals in general, some of the pitches that they're taking are right down the middle of the plate. And it was almost like some of that patience was working against him. But now he's over aggressive and especially hunting for fastballs. It's like you can beat him high with fastballs now, which is something that he wasn't doing early. And I don't know, man. I, I As Colin said, Colin Dunn uh, said a second ago, that's some of the most uh, revelatory language I've heard out of Schilt. Uh, he sounds so done with Tyler O'Neill. Yeah, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, it seems like over the last couple of weeks, uh, you know, Mr. Schilt kind of said that in, in the way he's used Tyler and the way he's pulled Tyler out of games, that he doesn't have the most confidence in him. And Honestly, you can't blame anyone for the way that he's producing right now for not having confidence in him. I, I just He's kind of unusual to me because I don't know what to think of him. You know, early on, uh, before the 17-day break, and then right at the beginning after the 17-day break, he was that hitter that I saw so frequently at the minor league level. And not in a streaky way. He was never really streaky at the minor leagues. And then to see what's happened in the last, you know, week of 10 games or whatever, it's, it's less... 10 days because i mean how many games have they played in 10 days uh you know the last 10 days i i don't know what to make of it or think of it yeah it's uh it's tough uh, he had a lot of hype i think you know the cardinals got him a little bit on the downswing of the prospect hype um i wouldn't go look at marco gonzalez stats since the trade uh if you wanted to feel better about tyler o'neill uh, we'll put it that way it was a tough so far at least it's been a tough trade um, yeah, and, and at the time, you know, they made it, we saw why they did it. There, there were issues that we saw with Gonzalez. Um, yeah. We needed, you know, a guy to kind of. I think the idea was that could develop into a cornerstone, and O'Neill at least had that pedigree. Um, he just hasn't figured out the this how to make good contact consistently mm-hmm. at the major league level. There, there's a difference, you know. I you, you see guys. I mean, I even see scouts talk about it. Like, I don't know if he'll when they say they don't know if they'll ever make enough contact, like meaningful contact. Like, it's one thing to put the bat on the ball and hit a ground ball to short. It's another thing to be able to take a major league pitch and drive it. Uh, I don't know. It so far, at least, um, we haven't really seen that consistently from them. Um, we have Graham. I want to. We we talked about this a little while ago. If the Cardinals are to pick up somebody at the deadline, who should it have been? We talked about this early on. Um, Definitely pre-Graham. I would have said the classic Cardinals pickup would have been David Phelps. You trade a couple of nobodies, you get a guy that doesn't even really have name value. Um, that would have been, I think, the most likely target, but trading in the division isn't really the thing, um, at least most of the time. Yeah, they will do it for a relief pitcher. You know, they, they did it for Broxton and they did it for C-Shack. But, or, uh, for, um, uh, wow, man. Axford, because Axford was oh, a what a name! Yeah, God, Malik yeah. Calamore for uh, John Axford, and uh, yeah. uh, who's who Broxton? Nicasio uh, used to be Fly the L. Juan yeah. Nicasio, uh, too bad the Rockies didn't start struggling earlier. Uh, we were never trading for Nolan Arenado. We can we can love it. We can hope for it all the time. It was. They're never, DeWitt's never doing that. And they've talked already about how their like financial models are screwed for next year. So uh, yeah. I think that contract is kind of out of the question. Um, yeah. And I would suspect that even though he doesn't make a ton of money, that that's part of the reason why the Cardinals, I mean, so the Cardinals obviously 
they have 46 men on the 40-man roster and all that stuff. But I would imagine that's also part of the reason why they didn't try to trade for Starling Marte. You know, he it might only be 10 or 11 or 13, whatever million dollars it is for next year. But uh, that's still money that I don't think they feel comfortable expending, especially when we yeah. don't know if there's going to be fans in the stands for next year. Yeah, it's a, it's a long road to get things back to normal. Uh, looking ahead, not too far, but we have five games um, against – the Chicago Cubs over the next four days. Um, I was looking to do a little more uh, work on what is happening in Chicago uh, with the players. They have a lot of good guys who aren't hitting, some guys who I didn't expect to hit who are hitting. Uh, today, Ian Happ hit himself, uh, hit a foul ball that came back up and hit him in the face. I don't know if you saw that. I did. I did see it. So, you know, I was away from Twitter all day today. I've been dealing with some work stuff. And I, I, I tuned in uh, at lunchtime, and the first two things I saw were a recipe for uh, chocolate chip and pumpkin uh, cookies, and then the Ian Hab taking a ball to the face uh, that ricocheted off the ground that he was swinging at. And, man, watching him go down, especially with the year that he's had, that, that poor guy. Yeah. Well, so he did end up walking off on his own powers. Hopefully it's just a black guy, a scare sort of thing. Um, but what I did do, looking into Hap, uh, the other guys that are kind of breaking out, breaking out at least, uh, Jason Kipnis is having a really good season. Um, and Jason Hayward is also having one of his best seasons uh, mm-hmm. so far. Would you have a guess as to what the common denominator is for all three of those guys? Man, you know, uh, so the one thing I noticed when Jason Hayward was here is that he was a mile and a half away from the plate. Um, he yeah. was as far, as far away from the plate as a, you can actually be, uh, both back and you know far away. Um, my guess would be that they are swinging at fastballs. So here's a little hint. At, I didn't look. At, I didn't look too hard at this. Here's a little okay. hint at what I saw for all those three. I walk a lonely road, the only one that I have ever known. Don't know where it goes. Walks. Ah. Ian Happ is walking 15% of the time. Before he'd always Holy had cow. he'd always had pretty good plate distance. We've seen it with Paul Goldschmidt. Paul Goldschmidt's walking like every time he goes to the freaking plate. Yeah. Ian Happ last year walked 10% of the time. This year it's 15. Uh Jason Hayward. Never been a big walks guy. He was always uh I mean, I didn't ever think of him as like a free swinger, but he made enough contact early in the count that he didn't walk a lot. This year, and his page is loading very slowly, so I don't want to misspeak, he is up to 16%. He's walking wow. 16% of the time, striking out 15% of the time. Jason Kipnis, same thing. So Jason Kipnis has always hit for a little bit of power. He's always hit for a terrible average, but normally he doesn't walk 15% of the time. Uh, I think that's his too. Um, it's been weird. So, I mean – that got me thinking a little bit because, like, we see with Goldschmidt, Matt Carpenter can't hit for anything right now. Yeah. And he's walking almost at 16%. It's almost a career high rate. But he, he can't hit. There's no reason. Kipnis is at 18 and a half. Last year he was at eight. So he's more than doubled it. His career rate is nine. So Jason Kipnis is at double his career walk rate. He has a 370 OBP and a 231 batting average, which is wild because Jason Kipnis has pop, but he's also not a good hitter. His. Yeah. Career, uh, 
to three years before this year, he was his OPS plus was between 80 and 90 every year. So he hits like Harrison Bader. Mm-hmm. And honestly, a lot like Harrison Bader. Strikes out a little bit, doesn't walk a lot, has some pop when he hits it. He's walking almost 20% of the time, almost as much as Goldschmidt. I, I have nothing to say. I honestly, like, I, did, I had no idea. Uh, because of the, the nature of this particular year, I haven't been able to stay up on other teams because, honestly, like, every morning I wake up and I just wait for 10 o'clock to roll by because I think 10 o'clock feels like the safe time to assume that if we haven't heard COVID news, uh, that we won't hear COVID news. Um, so, I, like, I haven't paid attention to any other teams, really. That That is super interesting to me. Uh, do you think that has more to do with just like a general uh, approach under the new coach, or do you think that that's just a league-wide trend? So that I think part of it is probably small sample stuff, but I did start to think it seems like Carlos Santana is walking all the time, yeah. Goldschmidt's walking all the time, and then these guys are walking. So there, there's at least three teams. So I looked into it because, of course, I did. Um, and – League-wide walk rates this year are up, and this isn't going to sound like a lot, but it's 0.7%. So last year, wow. I don't have the number in front of me, but last year it was 19, say it was 19%. This year, it's that's a stupid high number. Say last year it was 8%. This year it would be 87 yeah. So like that's a big increase, relatively speaking. Over the whole league, that's a lot. The last time that the walk rate increased that much from one season to another was 1999. From 1998 to 1999. Mm. Do you remember anything? I, I was too young. Do you remember anything about 1998? I, I do no. know a children's book about how Mark McGuire, <laughs> Sammy Sosa, and Ken Griffey Jr. and somebody else I don't even remember all hit like, you Greg know, Vaughn. two-thirds of the way through the season, everybody had 50 home runs and then, you know, chase up to 70 uh, for McGuire. And the book uh, ominously ended that, uh, McGuire's record might never fall. And, uh, whoops. Whoops. <laughs> a few years later, surprise. Yeah. Um, but it, it's crazy. And the only other year, um, since World War II where the walk rates increased by more than it has from last year to this year was, um, 19, I think it was 1969, which wasn't 68 the year they lowered the mound. Yeah. After, after 68 into 69, because 68, wasn't 68 the year that uh, Gibson had the super low ERA and also uh, yeah. McLean for Tiger, the Tigers had a super low ERA too. So it would have been 69 would have been the first year. Yeah. So you have, this is the highest change in the league-wide walk rate so far, uh, except for when they literally lowered the mound. Um, yeah. 1.12 ERA for Bob Gibson in, uh, in 1968. Uh, not bad. Yeah. Um, now, real fast, just thinking about it, do you think it's as simple as so many extra teams are carrying four and now at least two extra pitchers as the roster dwindled from 30 to 28, and maybe that's part of the reason why? Yeah, Trying to cover it, innings? it could be, yeah. Because, I mean, you assume that the guys who are kind of coming in at the end are your worst. Um, you know, the marginal guys are going to be worse than the actual seven that would normally be on your roster. Um or eight in the Cardinals case, because we love the 13-man staff. Uh, yeah, that's probably part of it. I don't know. I, I haven't looked into it enough to really, like, to, yeah. to think too much about it. It was just – it seemed like it was happening, and, I mean, it's crazy. And if you count hit by pitches, uh, it's even worse. So, let me – I actually have notes. Um, well done. 
Yeah. So this year, players are getting hit. This is a small percentage, but it's 1.3% of their plate appearances are ending in a batter getting hit. Highest since World War II. The next highest season was 1.1, so it's not even close. We're talking it's about 90% points, but it's not even close. Um, the Mets and Cubs have both been hit 29 times so far this year. Um, the Cardinals, even though they've played like two weeks fewer games than everyone else, are uh, tied for eighth with 21. Edmund and Carpenter have both been hit four times. So Carpenter, you know, walking, getting hit, whatever he has to do to get on base, I guess. Uh, whatever works. Bader has been hit three times, and he's all, he has 56 plate appearances, um, which is the third. So, like, if you take how many times they're hit, how many plate appearances, he's the third highest behind Bradley Zimmer, who we know everybody – like, he's the leader every year. Um, he gets hit all the time. And then Ramon Laureano, who I'm assuming people are probably hitting – uh, maybe not on purpose, but not not on purpose. Yeah, not not on purpose. Um, so for Beta, that five point four percent, Molina since twenty seventeen has walked in five point one percent of his plate. <laughs> so extrapolating Bader, he's getting hit more often than Molina is walking. Uh, how how I, much fun is it to watch Yadier Molina hit? Uh, it's something else, man. I I don't know if fun's the word. It's one of a kind. It's frustrating as hell when he goes up and you know he's swinging at the first pitch no matter um, where it is. Yep. Yeah, and also somehow making contact with it half the time at least, which is even crazier. Yeah, and when he dumps it, you know, he had the one game where he hit four little singles into center field. Like, that's great. I'll, you know, do that all the time and nobody cares. But, uh, you got the – he's got like five or six double plays this year. He hits at a spot in the lineup where there's always guys on base. Uh, so when he makes outs, they're uh, they're usually pretty painful outs, which mm-hmm. definitely does not help the perception of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing that was, I thought was interesting: Did Bader get hit a lot when he was in the minors? Oh man, I don't even know. That's that's a great question. I don't think he did. I do not vote. I don't ever remember. Like, there's not an instance. A lot of times when that questions like questions like that get brought up, there's an instance that comes to my mind where I think about this or that, and there was not an instance once uh, that came to my mind when you asked. So he's since 2018, he didn't get a hit a lot in 2017, but since 2018, he's been hitting almost 3% of his plate appearances, he, which is 13th out of like 200. It's like 208 players that have eight, 800 plate appearances, a arbitrary number to get Bader in the leaderboard. Uh, but Bader's 13th out of those 200 or so. Uh, 11th, is a current Cardinal, so slightly higher than Bader. And number 12 is a former Cardinal. Uh, I, I always think about, when I think of former Cardinals getting hit, I think of John Jay. John that's, Jay and Skip. That's the one. Okay. He's and then 12. a current He's Cardinal. A current Cardinal that's had a Bader. Matt, Matt Carpenter? Nope. Uh, the John Jay one I'm impressed with. I was going to give you bonus points for that one. I like I knew this one. I, I didn't know it, but like I could, now once I saw it, I was like, yeah, he does get hit a lot. Is it Colton Wong? It's Colton Wong. Okay. He probably, he probably, like, honestly, like, and it's a good thing. He probably, like, lets himself get hit pretty often. Yeah. Yeah. John Jay and Skip Schumacher were good for that, too. Skip Schumacher. Yeah. Skip Schumacher, I remember, he, uh, he did get hit pretty, pretty frequently. Um, (laughs) Think about that. Like that. How great are some of these names? (laughs) Yeah. I love, I love Cardinal baseball. 
Skip Schumacher. I so one of my uh, so I guess to go down a, a route that normally I wouldn't go. Uh, <laughs> Skip Schumacher. So he had remember the game. It was 2011. Carpenter and Halliday. Skip Schumacher was our inexplicably. I guess at the time he was fast and played the outfielder maybe second. So he let off. He had that little stupid double or triple yep. or whatever it was down in the corner. Scored the only run of the game. Uh, that game has a special place in my heart because afterwards I got three tickets. Uh, I was 16. I was driving after curfew. <laughs> I had too many people in the car. <laughs> and I was going 54 and a 35. Oh, you're a gem. Yeah, so I watched that whole game. I, I watched that entire game. Like, I, I was so, like, I mean, I'm obviously super into this stuff. On the edge of my seat the whole game. Uh, game ends. Girl that, of course it's a girl. Uh, it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, girl that at the time I was like, I don't even know what it was, but it, whatever. She texted me and she was like, oh, like, my mom's out of town. The <laughs> to give us a ride just left can you like pick us up and like there's like me and two other people and like drive us back and we will like hang out for a little bit and then whatever i'm like okay sure so told my told my parents where i was going i was like hey this girl who you know uh like apparently for whatever fucking reason sorry for the language family friendly show uh <laughs> right like i don't know why but like i'm 16 i'm gonna do it yeah um I come back like an hour and a half later and my dad, I walk in, I, my dad's like, what the fuck took so long? And I, I was like, my dad is like, you know, pretty laid back. You've met him. Like I've met your dad. It takes a little bit to, to get that out of him. And then I just dropped three, three traffic tickets on the kitchen table. Uh, so it ended up, it ended up all right. I think my mom was more mad than my dad was, uh, because Cardinals at least, least won. That uh, that that softened the blow a little bit. Uh, but yeah, that was uh, so that day at least is that night at least is uh, forever ingrained. Uh, I learned I was a much more responsible driver after that though. Um, so positives. How um, many traffic ticket tickets have you gotten since then? Zero. Hey. Zero. I've backed over a mailbox since then. Yeah, who hasn't really? And into another car. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wasn't in the car the time that my car backed into another car, but that was in the Taylor Swift episode. If anybody wants to to dig back in the archives, oh god, that's amazing! Yeah, that uh, so we have a nice stat on Long getting hit by pitches from Quinn. I don't know if this is real. I hope it is. It's got to be real. If it's I not hope, real, then we got to get that number somehow. I hope it's real. Uh, actually, it seems like we've got a couple of really good questions over there in that query. Somebody asked uh, about the glare off my head. <laughs> um, that's from being bald uh, and also working outside and being absolutely a sun ravaged. That's what you're seeing uh, from the glare. There could be no light in my room or in my wherever I'm at, and somehow there's a glare off my glaring bald head. Luckily, uh, I don't have a that's that's not a concern for me yet uh i'm not cutting my hair for a long time um another good one uh do relievers this is a different direction probably i would assume so 
Yeah, I, I don't have any stats to back it up, but it and just makes I sense. Think, yeah, usually your better pitchers are the ones that end up as starters, though, and control's a little bit uh, little less important when you're only throwing one inning, and it doesn't matter if you throw 20 or 30 or 10 pitches in that inning. Uh, what else do we have here? Um, well, this, this one by Quinn Mortimer where it says, a couple days ago I checked and Yachty had the third lowest K and the fifth lowest walk rate in baseball somehow. If that's not the most, at everything. I was gonna say if that's not the most Yachty stat, uh, that like that stat, if that is, you know, I don't know if it's true or not. It sounds true to me. It, I it, it is. I I I looked at it. It I don't know if it's exact. It's it's still about that. Yeah. It's that whatever statue they end up building to him, that should be engraved in there. Yachty swung at everything. It, it definitely should be him swinging. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It'd be like his batting stance. It shouldn't be him behind the plate. It needs to be him swinging at a bad pitch on a 0-0 count with an important run on second base. I love that. Put the scoreboard behind it so that you know it's a 0-0 count. Or maybe maybe, maybe make it a big statue so you can see a runner on first and you're holding your breath because you assume it's just going to be a double play. God, <laughs> that was what I – I was even mad that he bunted. Yeah. Because yeah. it was like to, he's just going to – if he swings, it's a double play. Yeah, and you're right. And just like Edmonds called on the broadcast, uh, I didn't. You know, I'm a, I'm obviously a fan of Tyler O'Neill. I, I maintain that if he just if he, I don't know, I don't know what I maintain anymore, honestly. Uh, but there wasn't a, a nice moment. Uh, what do you say? A very nice beard. <laughs> exactly. I, I try my hardest to maintain this very nice beard and this very shiny bald head. Uh, and other than that, like. Edmonds nailed it. After after Yachty did the sacrifice bunt, you didn't have any faith at all that either Thomas or O'Neill were going to come through in that moment. Uh, and that's rough. And it would have been nice for them to be able to pivot and maybe go to someone. But I wouldn't, you know, not to bash on Dylan Carlson. I know Quinn asked, or uh, Graham asked about Dylan Carlson. Like, I don't feel any more comfortable with Dylan Carlson up there right now either. You know, that's that's kind of the disaster that happens when you're trying to bank on three young outfielders who just haven't proven it yet. Yeah. There's another one in here uh, that I want to talk about. This one, you know, is probably going to be tough. Uh, you probably don't love this question. Why has X Woba been bad this year? Um, so I was wondering the same thing. Cause we see all the time, like, so X Woba and there's expected batting average. There's expected slugging. StatCast tracks the launch angle and the speed off the bat for every batted ball or most. Um, they always seem to miss pitcher home runs for some reason. Uh, but they track all they track this and they basically estimate like how what the what should have happened, you know, as all thing, you know, if you did that a million times, what should have happened on average. Um, X Woba this year, the difference between the league Woba and the league X Woba is like 30 points different, which, like, it's the difference between, like, 230 and 260, like, a batting average, if you're thinking about that. Like, that's a big gap. Yeah. Um, and it's uh, it's been a little tough because, like, for a while we saw uh, the first couple of weeks, like, batting average on balls in play was way down, so it was all of a sudden fielders were making a lot more plays um, than we would normally expect it, but then that kind of normalized. Um, so I was looking into it, and the answer is kind of boring, but – Baseball Savant is using 2019 – this is only going to make sense for people that know how to calculate Woba. They're using 2019 coefficients. So, like, they're saying, like, a single on average is worth between 0.85 runs and 0.9 runs. 
and they the number changes year to year depending on like how easy or hard it is to hit. Going back to Bob Gibson, a single was worth a lot in 1968 because nobody got hits. A single is worth less right now because guys are just hitting. You know, there's a lot more home runs. It doesn't matter as much if you're like stringing singles together. Um, so the boring. I mean, what I found, I have a thread about it out there, but the the boring answer is that they're using 2019 numbers to calculate a 2020 number. And because of the shortened season, because of the expanded rosters, whatever it is, teams are, runs are a little bit at a premium this year. And so they're underestimating like how valuable ex-WOBA or sorry, ex-WOBA is actually probably more right. This baseball savant WOBA is underestimating how valuable all of these events are. So they're underestimating the value of a single. They're underestimating the value of a double. Um, and, you know, I, I went through with Paul Goldschmidt. Um, I went through with a couple other guys on my own. I tweeted about Goldschmidt. But if you just replace the numbers that Baseball Savant's using in their calculation with the 2020 numbers that are on fan graphs, ex-WOBA and WOBA are even. And it's, it's just WOBA coming up to ex-WOBA. So wow. – you're going to see a lot of guy, and I, I hate it. I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, I don't really know what to do about it because, like, I use that, obviously, um, in a lot of my stuff. Um, it's just it, – it's it's not a good number. The Woba number on Baseball Savant is not a good number. Um, I love Baseball Savant. They need to do something different with what they're showing um, for Woba. Um, it's interesting to me as someone – you know, I'm not, I'm not as well-versed in this stuff as, as you are, not even close, but – it's interesting to me that you found kind of the answer to the question. You know the data set that's available to you and how to apply it. And uh, it, it, you've proven it to be a correct data set at that. Uh, that's that's interesting to me that Savant wouldn't uh, pivot and at least adjust to it or at least have another. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's tough because like, not to, I, I, I hate getting super technical about this, but like, when, do you know what the book is? The book that Tom Tango wrote. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. In that he puts like he like talks about like general like constant coefficients. So like maybe and you just always say that a single is worth point eight seven, um, and you always say that a walk is worth point seven. Um, the it what actually like is done on Fangraphs and Baseball Savant is they change that to like a, to adjust the run scoring environment. So they try to get the Woba in any given year to be comparable to past years. Yeah. Uh, but I'm wondering if it would be better like OPS where like you have years like the steroid era where it's going to be high. Um, I, I don't, it's, it's not an easy question. It's, I get why uh, this has over the last couple of weeks uh, pushed me towards the more traditionalists. Um, because if, if you can't get to a number and you don't understand why it moves and sometimes it just moves because you're using different assumptions, like, I, I, I don't love it. Um, but now when, now, when you say using different assumptions, do you mean more like uh, the assumptions based on, like, you know, park factors and things like that? Is, is that kind of what you mean? Or Yeah, park factors. The, and the hitting environment. is just instead of adjusting for the – instead of saying, you know, the 2020 run environment and applying that to 2020 numbers or taking 2019 – applying it to 2020 to the extent something changes again to go back to 68 69 imagine like the difference in what you know if there was an ex-woba back then you lower the mound 
and now we're using 68 constants in or coefficients in 69, like that's just going to be crazy. Um, yeah. You would, and, and like there are limitations to it. I talked, you know, luckily I have a pretty open dialogue with um, a lot of the guys uh, who run baseball savant. Um, they're they're all good guys. I don't love how you know everything necessarily is done, uh, but the data set's awesome. Their site is awesome. Um, I'm not a data. I I'm like not really a data guy, so like I, you know, whatever. But um, wait, real fast. If you don't consider yourself a data guy, what? If you don't consider yourself a data guy, what do you consider yourself? I'm like I'm just like a stats guy. Okay, fair. Uh, there, there's a difference. I, yeah. Hey, I'm alcohol guy, so I understand. <laughs> uh, speaking of alcohol, I need to open up my third Deschutes. Get that Deschutes. While you're doing that, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna scroll back to some questions. I know that uh, you'll end up putting them on the screen. B Sport twenty one ninety three. Uh, he had a little something here a second ago. As I have to end up scrolling back up now. As Graham uh, does his thing, he says, "Does it seem like Cardinals pitchers don't throw enough changeups, or is it just me?" And when I saw that question, it kind of hit me because you know you think the Cardinals went through a, not a renaissance, but they went through a time there where you had Michael Waka and Luke Weaver, who their entire bread and butter was fastball changeup. And now it does seem like there aren't a whole lot of pitchers there who's and for the Cardinals that throw fastball changeup. It's you know, but then again, at the same time, baseball's undergone a slider renaissance, right? That's that seems to be the go-to breaking pitch. So, uh, that, yeah, to your point, I, I think you're right. I don't think we see very much in the way of changeups anymore. Uh, maybe not league-wide, but definitely for the Cardinals. Yeah, I mean. It was always a staple of the Dave Duncan guys. Uh, Kyle Loesch had a really good changeup. Uh, Jared Weaver, really good changeup. Yeah, sinker changeup for, for Dunk. Yeah, and it, it was always um, – I'm trying to pull up right now what the – I'm a stats guy, so I'm trying to pull up the stat <laughs> to see what, what they like, if it's a league-wide thing or if it's just the Cardinals. Because to your point, like, I think there has been a shift towards – um, I think a little bit away from curveballs because they're, you know, for the most, for a lot of guys, there's kind of a tell when they kind of flip it out of their, out of their hand that it pops up a little bit. Yeah. Um, if it's a good enough pitch, it doesn't always matter. Um, well, it goes back to the Hudson conversation we had a little while ago. When Dakota's throwing that curveball, it doesn't do the pop up, and that makes yeah. it. No, his is, his is flat, which is he needs to throw it all the time. So, yeah. uh, so I did put. The Cardinals in 2017, I didn't go back very far, uh, through 10% changeups. Now they're down to six and a half. They're doing the opposite wow. of the league, who increased from 10. So the Cardinals were average four years ago. Uh, the league increased from 10 to 12. So they are throwing less changeups, and they're throwing even less changeups relative to everybody else. I, I'm surprised to see that league wide. Now, uh, if you have it in front of you, and I'm sorry to put you on the spot. What has the percentage of sliders gone in that time? Because uh, I, man, I feel like everyone throws a slider now. Yeah. So it, for the for, uh, I'll do the Cardinals first. Okay. Uh, I assume it's up, but who knows? Uh, for the Cardinals, it's fourteen uh, and seventeen in twenty seventeen. They fourteen percent were sliders. Uh, in twenty eighteen, that was up to eighteen percent, and it's been between wow. eighteen. In 20 the last two years yeah that's so, that's their changeup loss their changeup loss went to slider yeah. game yeah they pretty much just took one and put it over there uh 
for the league, it's from 16 to 19. So there's been an wow. increase in the league. The Cardinals a little bit more than the league average. Um, what's interesting, though, is the league's done it slowly over four years. The Cardinals did it all at once. Mm. I don't remember. Did we – I mean, I guess if you're looking at a team, it could just be pitcher-specific. But Yeah, I, I guess just thinking about the, what the staff has looked like in the last couple of years, uh, just the turnover, uh, I'm sure that's what it is. Uh, Aiton Bragg, I miss a good changeup. Me too. Uh, Michael Waka, one out of every fifty would throw a really good one. Uh, I do miss those. Yeah, after after that first season when the scalpula uh, injury came up, it completely changed what Michael Waka's changeup could do. Yeah, uh, Jeff Jones, uh, one of our good friends at um, in St. Louis local media, uh, one of honestly probably one of the better ones. Uh, yeah, Jeff. Appreciate the work you do, um, both for the Blues and for the Cardinals. Um, 2017 to now is Lily to Maddox, and Kyle's correct. Max's groove is fastball high, pair of slider. He needs to – if you're – the fastball high pairs so much better, I think, with a curve because nobody's starting a slider high. And if that's the one thing that – Adam Wainwright switched to this last year. I talked about it in, like, one of the three articles I wrote last year. Adam Wainwright adjusted to throw his fastball. He was always a guy that lived low because he, you know, he doesn't throw hard. He's got to get the ball on the ground. He adjusted last year to throw the fastball high um, and play the curve off of that, and it, it did wonders for him. I don't know what he's doing this year. I haven't looked, um, but if that's the one thing, I agree. The fastball high, it's tough to hit. Umpires are calling it, I think now, because um, there was a lot of times where they weren't, and now it's kind of the data's public. People can say, you know, can point to specific guys and say you're missing it. I think they're getting better, um, but it needs to be paired with curveballs, uh, which Austin Gomber would be a big beneficiary. You know, uh, another another interesting thing to track, going back to spring training, which seems to, like two and a half years ago at this point, do you remember when they were, and I'm sure Jeff remembers this, he was there for that. I think he was the first person to tweet out a picture of it, but they they put that uh, that yellow line at the bottom of the strike zone uh, while they were doing, um, it, it, not a yellow line, but it was like a, a yellow wire. Uh, and the idea was that the pitchers were throwing at the yellow wire and the yellow wire indicated the, the lower part of the strike zone, like the knee part of the strike zone. This uh, is actually like the pitchers were throwing at a wire? Yeah, yeah. There was a wire and the catchers were on one side of the wire and the pitchers were on the other side of the wire. And the idea was to hit that wire and the wire was at the low end of the strike zone. And just, I mean, again, this was, you have to remember, this was at the beginning of spring training. And I don't know if you remember what spring training is. I hardly do. It seems like it was, again, two and a half years ago, uh, the Cardinals get together and then there's a lot of people and then they dwindle it down to fewer people while playing baseball in the meantime. Uh, So, but yeah, I'd love to know if the Cardinals have worked lower in the zone uh, as compared to previous years uh, than than higher in the zone. I I, I don't know. Just thinking about Jeff and thinking about the way that you use pitches, because I'm with you with the fastball curve fastball high, run the curve off of it. Um, yeah, I, I, it was just something that came to my mind. Like, I remember the the pick in the video of the yellow line there. Uh, uh, yeah, as, uh, yeah, there you go. Uh, Jeff says, uh, yellow rope stretch across bullpen mounts to skip fastball and slider off uh, at the zone bottom. Uh, so, yeah, I just, I, I'd love to know if that's how it's worked out for the Cardinals, if, if they're, they've in, incorporated that. Or, you know, then again, that was so long ago, maybe it was like, let's just – pitch and hope for the best yeah i i mean i don't remember seeing it but um apparently jack flaherty of course jack flaherty hit it a lot yeah uh, 
hopefully with that slider. Uh, we have one out in Mitchell. Can I explain my thoughts on Devin Williams' changeup? So this is uh, – I don't know if you saw this. There's an article on Fangraphs today. He's a reliever on the Brewers. He doesn't get the spotlight because of Josh Hader. His changeup's a screwball. Oh, no it's, kidding. I, yeah. he, he turns it over. So in the article, they talk about how, like, all these guys trying to turn over their changeup, but the difference between Devin Williams and everybody else is, like, the wrist pronation. So he's, like, better at flicking it over the top. Um, mm. And he gets he gets 400 more RPM uh, on his changeup than anybody else. It's a breaking ball that goes the other way. Um and for me, that's that's a screwball. I know we don't want to call it a screwball because screwballs are really bad for your arm, and we have enough arm injuries that we don't want to say people are throwing screwballs anymore. Uh, but it's a screwball. Yeah, and also, you know, the cool thing about Devin Williams from a local perspective here in St. Louis is he's from the area. So really? that's, a, that's a yeah, that's that, a cool thing. I, you know, you know, there, I, there is a, a Zach. Uh, I'm going to butcher his last name. Starts with a T, ends with Vast. Televast? Televast. Yes. He said that his, uh, now that you mentioned that he's from St. Louis, he said his buddy caught him uh, in high school. So um, I guess I didn't put two and two together, but local St. Louis guy. Uh, yeah. Alec Alec also had another fun, and I've, I've been fortunate enough to actually meet Alec, uh, Alec Mitchell, who just commented. I've met him at Ballpark Village one night. Um, uh, he said he likes vintage, uh, the Carmart change-up. And uh, so Alec is obviously a fan of the changeup, and I am too. And I miss that vintage uh, uh, Carmart changeup, Seamart El Gallo changeup. It was uh, it was a thing of beauty when it was on. He pulled the string like no other. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Hopefully, I, I man, you know, honestly, that that start that he made against the Twins was awful. Obviously, his velocity was down. The velocity's got to get back the velocity up. Velocity was scary. Yeah. Yeah, it, it felt like Alex Reyes uh, making his start against Milwaukee two years ago or whatever. It is. Yeah. That's that's what it felt like, you yeah. know, his body language, all of it. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, I, I'm hopeful we get some type of something that resembles vintage Seamart uh, when when eventually he makes his his return to the Cardinals staff. We'll just call it a staff because I know they want him to be a starter, but we'll wait and see how that all pans out. Or he wants yeah. to be a starter, and they're going to let him be a starter. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, uh, I don't know. This is like, I forget who I was talking to. Um, it was actually somebody I work with, surprisingly. Uh, there's actually a Cardinal fan at my, um, my firm in Chicago, and he's, uh, we were talking about whether Martinez should come back to the rotation or whether, you know, you just keep him in the bullpen and let him have a year or have an inning or two here and there to, like, build up. Um, I just, like, I know he's had issues, but he's so much more valuable if you can get him in the rotation, yeah. and especially in a year when you need innings. Like, he's a guy that, you know, even if it's four, like, even if it's, okay, you can't go seven because your shoulder's not there yet, four is still a good number. It's more, it's like four effective innings. You turn that over to, you know, instead of Ponce starting a game, Ponce comes in in the fifth. I, I don't know. Um uh, Stu Styles, the wonderful Stu Styles, miss some yeah. Alex. Uh, I don't know how Stu. Uh, I don't know how you watch one watch every game, uh, <laughs> and two within like ten minutes of the game ending have a recap out. I don't have the it's, attention. It's 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 incredible. 
Stu's a magnificent son of a bitch is what he is. He is, all of it is amazing. That, you know, him and, him and, and Gifts and Enchil, that, what, what they're capable of doing is, it, it really is amazing. And it's not even just a recap. It is, it's almost like a work of art. It's, it's beautiful. And then scoring the game, which I can't even do when I coach my little leaguers. I, like, I, it is, it's amazing. It's amazing. Speaking of scoring games, he has his, uh, his scorebook of game six up uh, on the Birds on the Black store. Um, if anybody was interested, it's framed. It looks wonderful. And we have a ticker with a link to it, uh, which I needed to show off. Yeah. And that is as good yeah. of a segue as any. My, my next two purchases, uh, I'm going to buy one of those. I've got to have one of those. And then uh, not to continue to plug Birds on the Black people, but I, I've got to buy some of Tara's artwork. I cannot, like... I've, I've tried to go to the site and I've, I've come this close to purchasing some stuff. I've got to work out some budgetary stuff. Uh, but I, I want to buy as much of Tara's artwork as I possibly can. I've, uh, there's been so many times where I'm like this close. Yeah. To buying every color of the Miles Michaelis, uh, Lauren Michaelis collection. Yeah. I, I, the other day I, I tweeted about this too. I went on, uh, it was banana Republic um, Macy's and I also went on Vineyard Finds. I ended up, I don't know what I was thinking. I ended up with this shirt. <laughs> it's, I don't even know what color it is. It's orange. It's a great color for you. It, it, it It's not a good color in the fall though, is what I hear. Well, they're I liars. Also, I, I think you're I beautiful. Ended up with bright pink, bright pink shorts. Teal shorts. Out of curiosity, Zach, like what time at night was this? I'm assuming it's the time of night. Oh, this is like on a Monday. <laughs> like during the day. Oh god. Like Monday during the day, I was like, oh, like I, I can do this and pay for like one day shipping and it'll be here on Wednesday. Well, hey, look, I'm not gonna judge anyone. I only own purple shirts at this point, so I've uh, I've got nothing to say about at any of it. At least purple plays in the winter. <laughs> I'm going to be running around naked in the winter, Kyle. Well, yeah, we'll have you on for prospects after dark at that there point. We'll do. Yeah. Um, I want to get into one more. We're going to go through a few more comments. We'll let those build up a little bit again. Uh, there is a good, this actually is a good segue. Yachty blackmailing <laughs> the Cardinals for playing time. I want to talk about Yachty a little bit. Uh, we already talked about his tendency to swing. Um, I want to talk about Yachty behind the plate. I, I don't want to bring up Kisner because I, I there, there's some sensitive stuff there. Uh, but Molina, for a long time, was by far the best behind the plate. Um, he was good at getting extra strikes. He was great defensively. He manages the staff super well. Um, Stu is grabbing a beer. We're going until at least Stu finishes that beer, so cheers to Stu. Um, oh, yeah. Molina, so I've, got, I've got to go and get another beer. You, you start with the Molina, and I'm going to go yes. get another drink. Okay, wonderful. I'm glad we got through we got through the bourbon and the mule. We're doing well. Yeah, we're doing well, that's for sure. Um, yeah, so while Kyle um, grabs his beer, uh, so Molina for a long time was super was super good at, uh, at handling everything. He handled the staff well. Um, he handled he framed well. He always had a great reputation for pitch framing. Um, and we finally find we finally got numbers that kind of quantified that, and it lined up with what we thought. 
Um, Connor, uh, I'm going to butcher his last name. I'm going to say Kirkin. I don't know if that's right. Uh, I found him on Twitter. He's really, really good at stuff that I wish I could do. I think like three years ago, he's doing stuff that like I would have seen myself doing by now. Um, if I, you know, paid more attention to what I was doing. Uh, but Connor Kirkin had a really good, it's a tableau graphic and it shows, uh, for catchers, they're like called strikes above average by location in the zone. So Molina for a long time was great everywhere. It didn't matter where the ball was. If it was on the edge, he, he was a great receiver. He was one of the best at, you know, who focused on this and like realized it was a, a thing, uh, early on. He was great at it. Here is Yadier Molina since 2015, and in all of these uh, pictures that are going to come up, red is bad since 2015. They're pretty neutral, still pretty neutral in 2016. A uh, little more red maybe in 2017, and then watch the bottom of the zone. It gets – he's it, – it's horrible. It's brown by 2019, and again, in 2020 we have a small sample, but – Molina's ability to frame the low pitch, the low pitch especially. Watch it again in 20, again, 2015, 2016, 2017, he was fine. Where you really see it um, is 2018, right in that bottom part of the zone. And then on, and really, I think it's the, I want to say it's the glove side edge in 2018 to 2019. And 2020, we, again, he's been okay this year. Um, but he doesn't get the low strike. And we see guys. I hate uh, Victor Caratini. He's the to you know pretend my face is the middle of the zone and like huh. bot. This is like you know the shin. Victor Caratini does that to every every pitch. Yeah, I hate it. Molina doesn't do that to his credit. He doesn't. Um, he tries to keep it at the edge where he catches it. Um, but over the last few years, he's really lost an ability to get that low strike. I don't know for you. Do you think he's getting worse at framing with age, or do you think it's umpires knowing that he's good at getting, you know, extra called strikes and being guarded against what they call? I think it's a combo of things. You had mentioned a little while ago as we were talking about uh, uh, the high fastball uh, curveball. I think that the high fastball is getting called more for strikes just in general. Total guess. Probably something that you're more qualified to even look up than I am. I think that the, the first step is that we're seeing more high fastballs being called, and I think we're seeing uh, uh, umpires go away from calling some of those fringy cur or, uh, lower strikes. And I also think, and that, you know, we we watch the Cardinals, so that means we're seeing a lot of the Reds, we're seeing a lot of you know, uh, we're seeing a lot of Caratini, we're seeing a lot of Stallings, we're seeing a lot of uh, Tucker Barnhart, and those guys are um, they're they're applying that exact thing you're talking about where. A ball could be six inches, literally six inches off the plate, and they're bringing it to the middle of the plate. And we're assuming that that's like just bad umpiring, which it is. Uh, but that's happening league wide. It, it, it's like I was watching a Mariners game. I just again, I only watch other games like innings at a time. And when I, I I have Hulu yeah. now, and I used to watch it through YouTube TV. And I know, anyways, all of that just aside. Hulu has live sports. So does so did YouTube TV. YouTube Live. Um, and whatever was up, I would I might watch like an inning or two while I get on my exercise bike and play video games at the same time. Uh, but that's that's league wide. That's just not happening to the Cardinals. And it makes me wonder if somebody would just tell Yadier Molina, "Hey, look, whenever bring it all the way back." 
Yeah. Yeah, whenever you get a pitch on that lower half, just bring it as high up as you can, as, as high up and as quickly as your arms can, and try to steal a strike and just see what happens. Yeah, I. it's wild. So when I was a catcher, and this doesn't count as real baseball, but in Little League, and then like the league after Little League, which we called Pony League, and then I was like a third-string catcher throughout high school. I would always try to frame pitches by like if it was on the inside corner to a righty, I would put my glove over the corner and catch it in the palm. Yeah. And if it was on the other side, I'd put my glove over the corner and catch it like at the edge. And I, I don't know if that worked like in my head it did, but I was like, you know, 12, 13, 14 at the time. So who knows? Uh, oh, Jesus. Pain. <laughs> Pain. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I saw it and I started smiling and I thought, oh, I know that. I know Zach will highlight this one. Damn it, man. 458 feet is a lot of feet. Yeah. One of the other random things, again, I didn't. I did not look at Twitter much at all today. I didn't have time, but so, I thought I saw a stat that said the Cardinals outfield in general has the lowest collective exit velocity in baseball. Like they're they're the last in exit velocity, and that 458 foot home run, which I'm sure was 113 off the bat, uh, really it really stings after seeing that stat. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna. I, I apologize a little bit for this, um, but I think that this is the ball in question. Um, oh, and boy. It's a good time to test uh, a thing that this software can do. Um, let's see. I we were talking about Yachty. <laughs> I know, but, you know, sometimes. Oh, this is great. Oh, no. Oh, no. Is this the ball? I hope yeah, that hope is the ball. ball. He, did he hit it to the Evergy sign? I think so. Where does this hit? That's incredible. Yeah, you know, the White Sox are just a fun team. You know, they, they have a lot of fun. Whatever happens with Luis Robert and Eloy Jimenez. I mean, out in it Gunfield, hits like in there. God, that's wild. Yeah, it's hard not to root for them. You know, they've now Kopech isn't pitching. He's sitting out the year, but they've got high velocity pitchers. They've got a thrifty older pitchers. They've got Jose Abreu. They're, they're a fun young team, too, at that. You know, I that's a fun team that uh, I, I envy your friends for being White Sox fans. I've adopted them as my second team unofficially. Um, the A's are also on the list. Uh, Moneyball A's. Um, I wish they'd spend real money, but. Yeah, you know yeah. they're fun teams. So, b- before we move on, Zach, do you think that if you, like put yourself in the Cardinals dugout, would you be telling? No, you, first off, you're not going to tell Yachty anything. You just say, "Hey, Yachty, no, what's he, up?" He, 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 I tell Yachty something. I I am a pulp after. Yeah. <laughs> do you think he'd go to Andrew Kisner then and be like, "Hey, that inning that you're going to catch for the next year and a half." Uh, would you be willing to pretend that the ball's in the middle of the plate when it's not near the middle of the plate? Would you just give that a try once? Would that be your solve here? I I mean, if that's what works. Yeah. I mean, I hate it. As a fan, yeah. I hate it. As a person that likes baseball, I hate it. Um, as a person who played very low levels of baseball, I hate it. But, like, that's what the good ones do now. It's not trying to make it look like a pitch is on the edge. It's trying to make it look like a pitch was down the middle. And I don't know if you're hoping that the umpire like blinks when you catch the ball, yeah. or like I, I had I had almost in Little League. 
their strike zone was like the middle of the zone, then like way over here because they would blink. And it was, you know, you, and look, like guys in Little League would catch it. That was what they did. And it's, it's like, that's what you're seeing now. And I just, I hate it. But yeah, if that's what I, if that's what the good ones are doing, um, I don't watch enough baseball to like definitively say it, but like the ones I do see, that's what they do. And yeah. it sucks. I hate it. But like, if that's what it is, before we get robo lumps, that's what it is. Um, there's no reason for me to like disadvantage if I was in the dugout. No reason for me to disadvantage my team because I don't like the reach and pull thing. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. It, it like uh, you know I tweeted it out, but it just seems like the, the I don't know the bastardization of the art form of 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 framing you know i love those little quirky things about baseball that kind of make it an art form and framing was one of them and now it's not and at that point it's just like why even try like you know and if that's the obvious way to steal a strike here and there why aren't we doing it yeah and as heady as molina is i'm surprised that he doesn't do it yeah, but he's, he's, there's also a lot of personal pride with Yachty. Like, I did, I feel like, again, I don't know Yachty. It's not fair for me to even yeah. make any type of assumption. But it, I just, I assume that everything that he does is driven by some type, you know, personal pride or, or you know what I mean. Uh, yeah. That, that's all I have. I, I, again, I, and that's, when you say things like that, it sounds like you're beating up on Molina or you're being critical of Molina. And I, all I'm trying to do is just honestly analyze the little bit I've heard and, the like the only exposure that I have to him, which is as a fan uh, from social media and whatever interviews he does every once in a while. Yeah, I think I don't know. I like I obviously like I love Molina. He's I have been baseball conscious since honestly. I don't even, I don't know like my first memory of the Cardinals to be honest, but it was probably after Molina was like the, a regular. So, like, Molina and, for a while, Pujols were, like, the and Carpenter, Wainwright, are the guys that, like, I always watched. I respect the hell out of all of them. Um, I don't – but I don't know. It's gotten – it's tough at the end of their career because, like, with – like, we're talking about the framing. Like, there's guys that do it better now. Like, Molina was always, always the standard defensively, and nobody was close. Um, but as he's aged – he has gotten worse and that's normal, yeah. but it's a, uh, it's, it's a weird thing to talk about and be okay with because it's like, you want to be able to say one thing about him now without like being like, Oh, I you know don't value the 15 years he did before this. Yeah. 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 That, yeah. Well said. Uh, Alec Mitchell. I think this was directed at me for my backwards hat. Uh, did you just leave an sec frat party? Um, I did not. Um, I have my mask, I think, in my pocket, which they would not have in the SEC. Um, no shots at uh, the wonderful University of Missouri or whatever it's called. It's not a wonderful university. I'm an Illinois fan. I hate Mizzou. Um, but I do have I do have my mask. It's cardinal red. Um, but I do have a backwards hat on. I don't know how this is going to sound. But where are you at? Uh, the hat, to, I guess, bring the point home. Not to be a total loser here, um, but has a dog on it. Oh, oh, what a good dog! 
Yeah, that dog is better than Archer. Oh, wow! Shot across the bow to Archer. Wow. How's he doing, by the way? Tell me. Give me an Archer update, would you please? Uh, he's yeah, pretty deep in his crate at this point. Um, Good. Let's see. Let me. I'm gonna sneak off screen for one second. Okay. Please do. So earlier, if you weren't paying attention, he is, awake. he is awake, laying on his side, and just kind of pouting. Uh huh. But we haven't heard him in a good half an hour, which is surprising. No, he finally gave up. He gave up. Yeah, uh, but now that I scooted over to see him, he's back up, so we'll probably hear. Yeah, yeah, that's my fault. That's my bad. Sorry, uh, sorry, Zach. I'm sorry to put you in that position. No, it's it's a good learning experience. I so. I was talking about, I ran into another uh, golden owner um, at the park before this one. I was trying to tire him out. Um, and he, he needs it. He's like I told, like I said earlier, he's been very needy the last few days. It's tough not to be needy when I've been working from home since mid March. I got Archer on mid April. Um, so he's, he's just only used to, me being at home with not a lot to do. Um, you know, the one time I let him out of his crate while I periscoped, he uh, tore up my room. I, there was a good picture of that somewhere. I, I don't know if you remember it. Uh, but there was like, it was while well, he still getting potty trained. So there's like paper towels like everywhere in my apartment because he would just pee in random spots because he couldn't hold it. Uh, and he took, he took out his uh, frustration at how bad the periscope was um, on the paper towels. Uh, See, so now, people don't realize. So now, he gets, now he gets to take a nap in his crate when uh when I try to do talk about this stuff. Yeah, the reason that's the sole reason why I don't have a dog is I can't imagine what kind of a uh, disaster they would uh, just do to my apartment after a bad periscope. Uh because it's bad periscope after bad periscope. I don't know who this ain't bride guy is, but he's dead on. <laughs> Oh boy, what a disaster! Uh, actually, that, that's a great question. Yeah, what this one? Yeah, I I think it's a good question. Yeah, no. What's the plan, or should be the plan, moving on from carp? Uh, decline his option whenever that becomes available. That's yeah. step one. Uh, step two is like he's a situational righty only. You need a home run guy right now. And also give them plenty of rest. You know, I, I as, as we said a little bit in the offseason, I think that their best bet is to follow the template that they 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 put forth last year after August 4th when he came off the IL. You know, he, he started 32 games and 48, 32 or 48 games or something like that. They were being really clever with matchups. Like you said, the lefty-righty matchup is the best way to utilize him. Uh you know, he needs plenty of rest. That's a guy who, and am I wrong about this? Didn't didn't Matt Carpenter, hasn't he dealt with various levels of fatigue issues for like yeah. five or six years now at this point? I mean, there was a point in, uh, I, I want to say it was 2015, but like, I mean, it's stuff that's popped up as early as May. Mm-hmm. Where like he's, and I, there, you know, there was a Mike Schilt quote, uh, and it was like kind of secondhand Molina stuff. Um, ah. but it was where Molina was going to play all the time during, during like the tough schedule and like having the COVID setbacks and whatever, once he came back from that, 
uh, that he was just going to play all the time. And, like, you know, the quote from Schilt was that he was a warrior. And it's like a team that had fatigue – has Carpenter's had fatigue issues. DeYoung's had fatigue issues. Molina never sits. You don't need <laughs> warriors. You need guys that are going to do the best thing for the team in a tough situation. And for Matt Carpenter right now, that's not – that's honestly not starting because – He's not a good defensive third baseman. He's rated okay there the last couple of years, but he he doesn't look the part at all. Um, yeah, I'd rather arm. have Edwin there. Uh, honestly, I'd rather maybe Brad Miller there. He did really bad a couple times. Yeah, uh, yeah. But that's the difference between a guy who can maybe get. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, that that's the difference between maybe a guy who can get to a little bit more and a guy who just makes all of the plays that are that he can make. Yeah, the yeah. Brad Miller and Matt Carpenter thing. Yeah, and I, I would say, you know, Edmund should be your everyday third baseman. DeYoung's your everyday shortstop. So you have that side of the infield covered. And then I just I don't I don't I don't know. I, you get if you play Carpenter third, you're putting Edmund in the outfield, um, which is what we've seen. Uh, at least you know the last few games, Edmund's been I think playing left and right field a little bit again. But I would rather see Edmund playing third and you give Carlson a little more time out there to kind of, you know, hopefully figure some stuff out this year. Uh, you get Lane Thomas back in the fold, and those guys play good outfield defense. Even Carlson, if he's not hitting, he's a good outfield defender. Um, and I, I just think that at this point in Carpenter's career, like, he's on the wrong side of 30. He gave you a really good handful of years, but he was only ever good at doing one thing. Um and that one thing was mashing fastballs that were kind of middle in below his waist. And now everybody knows that and they don't throw it to him. And when they do miss there, he doesn't hit it as often as he used to. Yeah. They've adjusted to him. They've shifted to that too. You know, I, I, I'd love to go back and see how many of his hits landed exactly where he's being shifted against, you know, five, six years ago before he was shifted on because that that's it. That that's a, that, I mean, honestly, Zach, that is a great synopsis. It's, that fastball that he used to be able to do damage with, whether it be a double or a single, he can't do now because he's been shifted on. Um, I, you know, I, 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 it's, not not a, like, it's just his bats a tick slower. He follows mm-hmm. more of those balls off than I've ever seen him. Like, you know, I remember in 2018. So 2018 was the last time he was like really good. He was insane for like three months. And it was like, if you missed middle in with a fastball, he was turning on it. He was driving it to right field. It wasn't always going out, but it was like he was hitting it hard. And I don't know how many times last year I watched him take a fastball low and in and follow it off or low and down the middle and follow it off. And, like, the upper body is just not um, – it's just – it's not all in sync. It's a little slower. I don't, I don't know what it is. Um, but it's just not quite – he just slowed down a little bit. And for a guy that – he had no room for air. It was – he did one thing well, and once that slipped a little bit, he's gone. And, and I don't know. It's tough because, like, you know, he still is. He does walk a lot. He still gets on base. But when you hit 185, like, you come up. Walks don't do any good when there's guys on base. They aren't going to walk you with guys on base. Yeah. Yeah, and he's almost up there looking for a walk, too. You know, it seems like every at-bat, he knows how compromised he is. He's The, the, the slowness in his swing is – is evident and he's just trying to fight for his life up there. You know, that's, that's what it seems like to me. What do you even do with that? Do you bat him ninth 
and you know they're not going to do that. Mike Schilt won't do that. Like, how do you, if if you're going to keep him in the lineup, how do you optimize his on base percentage? The only and that's uh, which is all that he offers really at this point. And the only way to do it is to hit him ninth, I guess. But the Cardinals don't really have the the the, the depth in their lineup to do that. And yeah. it's just it's a terrible situation to be in, really. Yeah, I was going to say like. Your on base percentage, like the spots where it's most useful, is probably the bottom of the lineup or like the very top. Um, the issue is like now that he's hitting fifth or sixth or whatever, he comes up with Goldschmidt on second, and he's not going to get pitched around because there's nowhere to, you know, you're not going to, there's nowhere to put him. Yeah. Um, sorry, I'm trying to look up how many foul balls he's hit on oh, pitches man. down in. Uh, over the last handful of years, the first number is promising. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's like if he just hit for a little bit of average, you could still get by with him hitting, honestly, probably towards the top of the order. Um, yeah, so he, sorry, just to finish this out, he's hitting, he's hit foul balls on 21% of the pitches that he gets that are like down and in like that wheelhouse. And back in 2017, 2018, it was down like 15%. So he's just uh-huh. he's missing often. Um, and that's more than likely because of the, the tick off on a swing, the speed yeah. of the swing. And it's just watching him, like, obviously, you know, I watch him. I, I loved Matt Carpenter when he was good. He was, like, one of the first guys with the Cardinals to kind of retake the fly ball revolution approach, try to hit for power, make the most of what he was. Um, and there, there was definitely some sacrifice there, but it, I think it, it helped him for – at least a handful of years. Um, he wasn't a guy that, you know, before he got to the majors was billed as somebody who was going to be that good. And he kind of, while he was able to adjust it to what the league was doing to him. Uh, and it's, it's tough to see him slip like he has, but. Um, yeah, that's, that, that change that tough. he made. No, that, just that change that he made with the philosophy that he adopted is what's going to get him into the Cardinal Hall of Fame. <laughs> that is a, uh, sensitive subject do you think he is a cardinals hall of famer yeah, look i i do but that's only because i i don't know i i'm sure to me he is but i think that there's a good portion of the fan base who hate him there uh it's a good portion of the fan base who I don't, yeah hate might be the word i'm trying to see uh where he ranks in terms of uh wins above replacement for the Cardinals all time. Um, 20th, exactly. Tied with uh, Marty Marion. I don't know Marty Marion. Marty Marion is a Cardinal. I mean, he is a, a Cardinal legend. He, uh, you know, I don't know. I honestly don't know much about him, but he, uh, he's one of those names. Whenever you hear the Cardinals, like when you're talking about the old school Cardinals, Marty Marion's name always comes up. The player right below him, Red Shane Deeds. Yeah, yeah, and that goes to show you the difference in in like the time, the era. You know, Red Shandies was beloved because of the era he played in and the 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 heartstrings that he pulled on. And now we live in a different time where everyone's just angry most of the time. And uh, Matt Carpenter hasn't particularly been good for two years now. And so. it's been a big change in baseball. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think I, a lot of it is pitchers just getting better faster than hitters have gotten better. And this is a conversation for another time. I think we'll probably leave it here um, pretty shortly. Pitchers have gotten a lot better faster than hitters have gotten better. 
everybody throws, as uh, Kevin Cash said, they have a stable of guys who throw 98. I don't know if you saw that interview. Um, as after Chapman almost killed somebody, uh, Kevin Cash threatened to throw at uh, Yankees hitters with their stable of guys who throw 98. I remember just 10 years ago, it was a big deal that like Brad Lidge sometimes hit 97. Yeah. And now it's like everybody does that. Yeah. I remember when Jason Mott made his major league debut. Do you, you do you have any recommend like a recollection of that? I mean, I remember like Jason Mott for his windup where he'd like, yeah, yeah, before he threw. I, I remember, you know, it was a fun story first off because he was a catcher that developed into you know it wasn't going to catch who ended up being a pitcher. I remember all that we heard about, you know, even as a prospect guy, was the fastball, the high-velocity fastball. I remember he could hit 98, 99. And think about that. Like, that was only nine years ago. It, yeah. You know, and, and that was an anomaly. I mean, he Didn't was – like, he couldn't command it. He was, <laughs> but he was, like, by far the guy that threw the hardest in that bullpen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Lance Lynn and Mitchell Boggs were the other two, quote-unquote, flamethrowers in that bullpen. For the yeah. 2011 Cardinals that won the World Series. Yeah, so he uh, he had three straight years with the Cardinals where he averaged about 97 or harder on his fastball, which at the time uh, was probably made him one of the hardest throwers outside of, like, Chapman. Yeah. Yeah. We need a role does Chapman make his Major League debut? Because at this point, it seems like it was 300 years ago. It was 300 years ago. <laughs> That's a thank you very much. As as Jeff mentioned, he was throwing Marty Marion in 1944. God, he's been around forever. Um, 2010. 2010. God. Is that how I say 2010? What's the right term? This is a 2010 good works for me. What's the, what's the word? How do you say? So I say 2009. I say 2011. What do you say for the year in between? That's where we're going to leave it. I say a decade ago, and then I don't have to even broach that subject at all. That's uh, that is a good way to not be wrong. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, real now, as before we leave, I do think that uh, Jeff Jones he brought up some interesting stuff about Marty Marion. It's only fair that maybe we finish with respect to the Cardinals organization. Uh, Marty Marion, the 1944 NL MVP, and then Jeff's comment underneath it. Uh, won the MVP with a six point uh, six eight six on base percentage, on play uh, OPS on play on base plus slugging, and a ninety OPS plus. Uh, and that yeah, as you talk about baseball being different now as compared to twenty eleven, just imagine how much different baseball is from nineteen forty four. I don't even know what to say. Yeah, but it's, like you said it. There's a, I would love what I would love to know is going back to 1944. I just love to know how fast pitchers threw. I would love to be able to get in a DeLorean, hit up, and just go back to 1944, put a radar gun on it, and see what it was. Because you know, no one was throwing 80 miles an hour, right? And that's a fair assumption. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, there's reports. I know this is like 40 years later, but aren't there reports like Nolan Ryan like consistently hit like 100? Yeah, I, I mean, I've heard all that. I don't know exactly what the reports were. I don't even. I, I, I'm looking at his fan. Mart, sorry, I'm looking at Marty Marion's Fangraphs page right now. I don't understand what he did that got him the MVP. More than likely, the Cardinals won the division 
And he was the best offensive producer. That's my guess. All right. Let's look. What was his batting average? He probably hit close to 400. I thought it was 267. All right, I got nothing. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm fresh out, Zach. This is sorry. I was gonna I was gonna let this like take us out, but now I gotta look. Yeah, please do. That is I mean this was in the middle of the World War too, so like Yeah. What's Stan Musual was on the Cardinals. Stan Musual hit three forty seven with a four forty on base percentage, five forty nine slugging, <laughs> struck out. 4.2% of the time, only hit 12 home runs, God forbid, but had 112 runs and 94 RBIs. It was worth 9.3 wins above replacement. And Marty Marion. <laughs> I don't – is my face, like, showing the, like, disbelief I have? I don't – what am I reading? <laughs> What read me some of his other stats? Like, did he have? Did he drive in all of Stan's runs, or was it like? Oh, yeah. oh God, sixty-three RBIs, six home runs, <laughs> fifty runs. He hit two sixty-seven. Did he play short? He he had to play short, right? Jeff, did he play short? It doesn't tell me on his Fangraphs page. <laughs> Jeff, did he play short? Maybe he was the only defender. Maybe that's why he got the. Maybe he he pitched, and there were he was the only guy other than the catcher. Maybe that's why he was the MVP. Two sixty-seven. <laughs> Zach is gone. I don't know what to think. Graham, Graham says Gifford. By the way, Gifford has stopped working. Is what what Graham says. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Here, I'm, I'm honestly, I just Google search 1944 <laughs> NL MVP to see if Jeff was full of shit. <laughs> and look at what, look, we're going to use the share my screen feature again so that I'm everybody can excited. see what I have to see. I'm very excited about the share my screen feature. This is fucking nuts. <laughs> Well, speaking of Marty Marion, fuck, I have no doubt about it. That guy looks like he rolled through uh, uh, Dogtown probably back then would be my guess. He, he probably set him up and put him down in Dogtown like no one's business. Dude, what could he have possibly done? He played less. So my other thought was like maybe he played more games. Like it was a no. war year. Like did, I don't know if Stan fought in the war or not. I'm, I don't pay attention to that stuff. No, Stan had a hundred more plate appearances. Yeah, maybe. Uh, well, Jeff Jeff Niehaus says maybe it's extortion. Graham's wondering if it's blackmail. Maybe he was the first guy to do two chicks at one time stateside. You you just never know these things, Zach. Like we probably have to do just a little bit more. He was, uh, he <laughs> yeah. That's uh, we we need to bring in retro symbol for this one. Uh, yeah. he does, maybe he does wonderful work. Maybe he can help me figure out what the fuck happened this year. Yeah, I don't. I don't know anything about it. That's that, that is a great piece of history. I would love to know how Marty Marion. Wait, was he like? He wasn't like the manager at the time, was he? It, would that earn him extra clout in an MVP race? Um. No, it was Billy South Southworth. 
Of course it was. I'm, how dare I? I'm sorry, the Southworth family. I've disrespected you one last time. I promise it'll never happen again. He was good defensively, but yeah, the Dylan Carlson fan, he was good defensively. 27 defensive runs above average on fangraphs. I don't know how they calculated defensive runs above average. How many years ago is that? Almost 70. I don't know how they did it. There's uh, no way. Yeah, no, it's more than 70. 76. I don't know. Just say 70. I, no one's going to count. They see the four and they know it's 20 whatever year it is. They just round down to 70. You're fine. Stan Musial was on the team. I like Ain't Bragg has it right. Maybe maybe the issue is that he was boot, he was a bootlegger. Maybe he was just getting all of the, the voters their whiskey, uh, their booze, and that's why he won MVP. So this is actually where we're going to close it. Stan Musial in 1944 had 9.3 wins above replacement and did not win the NL MVP because he lost to Marty Marion. How many seasons did Stan Musial have where he had more wins above replacement than he did in 1944 when he lost the NL MVP to Marty Marion? It's more than one. Okay. It actually he it is was not his best season by wins above replacement, but it was one of the better ones. How many seasons? Uh three. Two. Oh. Stan Musial, his third best season, didn't win the NL MVP. <laughs> that poor son of a bitch. How but, does that how does that compare to uh pool holes? What which part? That, just just from like a, like his third best season not winning an MVP. Um, one sec. Because I mean, yeah, think about all those great seasons that Pujols had that he didn't win an MVP because of you know other people. Sam Musial led the league in o- in OPS on base percentage and slugging, and hit three forty seven, and led the league in everything the year before, and didn't win the MVP. He won the MVP the year before with like the oh, same wow. season. He had the yeah. same season two years in a row. And the second year, he only got fourth. And then he won it the next year. Or, well, not 45, because he didn't play. He mm. fought in the war. Yeah. God. Kyle. It's a, different, it's a different time, man. What would I have done as a baseball fan? Imagine me as a baseball fan 76 years ago. Imagine Twitter 76 oh, years ago. Uh, Albert Pujols' best season was, or third best season was like a win and a half worse than it was eight or eight point four wins above places. He's about a win worse than same usual. That was two thousand nine. I don't remember where he was in the MVP that year. Now, I'll, let me see if I can look it up because I want to know two thousand and nine MVP MLB. Uh, it was Pujols. Pujols won, and so did Joe Maurer. That is a that's another name. <laughs> it is a name. It's not quite Marty Marion, but it is a name. Yeah, yeah, Stu says that. first shortstop ever to win the NL MVP. Marty Marion. Well, I guess this is the Marty Marion episode of Nerds on the Black. I'll uh, I'll have to let Gifts know to work that into the to the to the podcast name. Man, that is crazy. Well, with that, 
Uh, I don't have any more words. I think I'm going to take another couple days to recover from the Marty Marion madness, uh, if you will. Um, Kyle, thanks again for joining. I did not get through all six of my shoots, which is probably better for all of us. Um, I will save some to celebrate Labor Day weekend. Uh, I hope you stay healthy and enjoy yourself. Um, and hopefully you are able to watch some baseball and get away from the normal parts of life that suck. Yeah, five uh, five games here in the next four days. Probably a pretty uh, important and pivotal series for the Cardinals. How many shoots did you get through? I did get through three. I mean, there's like some spittle left in this one, but three. Okay. Should we stick around and just have you pop the fourth as like a goodbye? Yeah. We See can. how I peer pressure? Don't do that. Don't do that. I I had three. I had, one Founders. I had one Founders Oktoberfest. I had the Cayman Jacks Moscow Mule and a little bit of bourbon throughout the process. So, no, honestly, same to you, man. Uh, this was a pleasure. I've always wanted to do this as we – yeah, number four. Get it. Uh, I've always wanted to do this, and I'm glad that we did it. And uh, honestly, man, I, you're the best. I feel privileged to be a part of it, and just thank you for letting me be a part of it. No, I appreciate you coming on. It's always uh, – we've been talking about it for a while. We've obviously, you know, we're pretty close outside of um, the stuff we do uh, and publish. So um, it's good to see. Hopefully we'll have fans in the stands next year and we can catch up again uh, down yeah. in St. Louis. Uh, we've had some good times there as well. Uh, yeah, yeah. You can meet up with Gersh and I'll meet up with Flores and we'll see where it goes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, one of us has a better chance out of those than the other, and it's uh, you're the one with the better with the better scouting eyes. So, uh, <laughs> not at all. I, I'm the one who thought Tyler O'Neill would be an everyday player, and it hasn't worked out. And I and you know, I don't know, man. I don't know. Hopefully, these next. Uh, so again, just to finish, you know, you'll do your thing. But like these next, I believe that these next four days, five games are super important. Yeah, and uh, I think that they'll set the pace for September. Yeah, it's uh, it's gonna be big time. Uh, this is you know where you're 500, you're playing the division leader. We're not gonna win the division this year, um, but you have a chance to make a statement. You have most of the roster back. Uh, it, you know, it's kind of do or die. Um, you need to win the series. Three out of two is fine, but win the series. Yeah, I'm with you, bud. I'm with you. All right. With that, uh, Kyle, thank you uh, for joining. I hope, thank everybody for, thank you to everyone who listened, was in the comments. Appreciate it. Uh, hopefully, now that this went well, uh, the software stuff, hopefully I can repeat it the second time uh, with as we keep this going forward. Uh, so thanks again, everybody. And we will see you the next time uh, on Nerds on the Black. And appreciate uh, everybody who tuned in for this crossover episode of Nerds After Dark. Driving, they get away, cause we will fly